You're listening to a sermon from the preaching and teaching ministry of First Presbyterian Church, Covington, Tennessee. Our mission is to proclaim Christ's kingdom through word and deed. You can learn more about us at 1pc-covington.org or join us for worship at 403 South Main Street, Covington, Tennessee. Our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 5 verses 18 through 29, can be found on page 890 in your pew Bibles. Before we read the scripture, let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, that you would give us hearts of flesh, remove our hearts of stone, soften our minds, soften our ears, soften everything about us, help us to focus only on you. It's all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only does what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will be shown to him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He who do, he does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. The word of God for the people of God. Well, there's a uh, common view that a lot of people have of of who Jesus is. Um, that essentially he was kind of a, a, a religious teacher, you know, someone who had some new ideas, maybe kind of some revolutionary ideas, and uh, that he was killed. And that later people came and made up stories and made up claims about him. Um, there, that's kind of the, the standard line of a lot of people who are skeptic, that Jesus had a different aim and a different goal. It may have been political or it might have been just kind of renewal with uh, religion or it might have been how nice we need to be to one another. Um, but that really, people got it wrong. 
And the, what tends to happen is people make up stories about him and um, claim that he was resurrected and started miracle legends to kind of make another point or uh, make up other claims about who he was that he didn't make himself. This seems to be kind of the common academic or, or perspective most people have. And a lot of people even kind of take this as a religion, religious view, that we can still kind of hold that view. And, and what Jesus taught was really about being nice to one another and how he continues to live if his teachings are within us or, or something like that. I never found that claim to be very powerful because I would always have to ask myself, why a cross? Because one of the biggest facts about Jesus is that he was killed by Roman authority in, in, on a cross. He was crucified. I mean, that is the major point of all the Gospels. If you look at them, just the, the majority of the stories of the Gospel um, take up the last week, all building up to the climax of Jesus. And, and, and Paul, who is the majority of the New Testament uh, the letters, he's saying, I preach Christ and him crucified. So the question has to be, why a cross? Why, why did they kill him? Because people don't kill good teachers. Normally, I mean, people, people don't crucify someone for teaching, turn the other cheek, and give to Caesar your taxes. That's not something that lands you in, 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 in a bad place. And you might say, well, maybe Jesus was, you know, so, such a, a different uh, from what the Pharisees were teaching. But, but even there, you know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees disagreed on a lot of things. There were a lot of religious disagreement. And they really disagreed with the pagans, and the pagans really disagreed with them, but that wasn't enough to take them and crucify them. I mean, they would argue and they would fight, but just having a different view of how the law should be practiced or what it means to be a descendant of Abraham and follow Moses, there would be a lot of people they would have been having to kill along with Jesus if that was the point. Maybe it was his harsh criticism against the temple, you may say, that, yes, there's different religious viewpoints, but here's Jesus cleaning out the temple, and here's Jesus saying these, these teachers have it all wrong. But Jesus wasn't the only one critical at that time. There was a, a group known as the Essenes. We found their writings, uh, if you've heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, a lot of their writings came to light in that. They were incredibly critical of the temple. They, had, they said the legitimacy of it was completely gone, and they left Jerusalem and, and lived in the wilderness because they said it was so wrong. But they weren't crucified for teaching these things, or writing these things, or distributing these things. And so why... A cross. Well, the scriptures are clear. Verse 18. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. You see, it wasn't because he was teaching things. It wasn't because he was disagreeing with them. It wasn't because he was criticizing them. It was because in their view, he was committing blasphemy. He was claiming nothing less than to be the son of God. 
nothing less to be God himself. Uh, you see, for, for, you know, one of the defining characteristics of Judaism is there is one God. And, and Jesus here is saying that he, is, he himself is God's son, which isn't so much about kind of, hey, we're all God's creatures. We all kind of have this relation. He's claiming a unique relationship with him. Uh, it, it, it's pretty stark here because uh, later on it says um, he calls himself uh, his own son. His own, he called God his own father. And when it refers to him as the son does something, it's using a definite article. He's not saying a son is like the father. He says the son. He, he's saying I have a unique relationship with the father. And the idea there is a child does and acts and is identified and is very much of the identity of who the father is. He's claiming this special relationship. He's claiming a and a similarity to the Father, which is claiming to be divine, which is, you know, powerful claim. Um, in other words, to say he's son isn't about saying this relationship of I'm somehow lesser and something that's shared with all of us. To claim he's the son, he's saying I'm so much like the Father. I, I'm, I'm equal to the Father. I'm like the Father. Uh, we, we see kids who are very much like their parents. I was telling somebody the other day, the, the, the things that I find most difficult to um, um, correct in my own children are the things that I see that are like myself. Keelan has had comments to me where I've gone, that sounds so much like me. <laughs> Lots of people look at Graham and say, I know what you were like as a child now. And yes, you, you have a good view. We parents, and he is saying, I'm like the father. I am the father. Uh, he is the son who shares one. He shares a unity of will. Um, we see this in verse 19. Whatever the father does, the son does likewise. They have the same purpose, the same intent. They, they have the same mission uh, they're both healing and restoring. Just as Jesus has healed this man on the Sabbath, he's saying the Father upholds all things and heals things on the Sabbath. I also am working. I'm healing and I'm restoring and I'm bringing the newness of life. Not breaking Sabbath laws, but doing what the Father does, for he does what he sees the Father does. It's an amazing thing for him to say that the Father does this and the Son also does this, because one is saying, yeah, we're, we're on the same team. We have the same purpose. I'm, I'm completely obedient obedient to the Father, but he's also saying he has the same ability as the Father, that just as the Father does these things, I also am powerful and able to do what my Father does, because he tells them, I'm, I'm healing, but you are going to see greater works to come. You know, it's more than this healing, you're going to see me raise people to life. And he says he has life in himself. Um, verse 21, for as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. Um, and later on, he says in verse 26, for as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself. Uh, this is a mind blowing claim because one of the things about God is he didn't, he wasn't created. He wasn't made. He needs nothing self to live. He is being itself. 
He has life in himself. And here is Jesus standing before them saying, he has granted to me to have life in myself. And possibly most staggering of all, verse 23, Jesus says, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. That means when we look at Jesus, we are to value him the same as God the Father. When we look to Jesus, we, we praise him, we worship him as much as worshiping God the Father. There's no lesserness in him. This is a man standing in their midst saying, you should worship me the same as you worship the Father. He says he has the same will and the same ability and worthy of the same glory. And this is a staggering claim, and especially among a people who say there is one God. He discusses two things that only God can do. One, God only is the one who gives life. He says that he will raise the dead and give life to whom he wills. He chooses to give life, which is something only God can do. Uh, you know, he heals, which is one thing, but take the dead and bring back to life is a power beyond our imagination. Verse thir uh, Deuteronomy 32, now that I, even I, am he, and there is no good God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. There is none who can deliver out of my hand. In other words, God alone can make life and give life. But he also is one who judges, and the only one who judges, ultimately. Uh, we, we, we see that in um, verse 22, the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. God is called the judge of all the world, but he gives judgment, the Father, to the Son, only one has the authority to know all things to perfectly judge. Only one has authority over all the world to ultimately judge. Only one has, you know, the one who's given us his law and his moral commandment is the only one who is ultimately able to bring us to resurrection of life or resurrection to judgment. And Jesus says, that is him. So he gives life, he brings to judgment. In one level, we read this, and having read through John, our mind should immediately go to chapter 11, where he resurrects Lazarus, where he stands at the tomb of Lazarus, and he shouts, Lazarus, come out, and a dead man walks again. And what's, you know, he says, this is the greater work. I'm going to not just heal, but I'm going to raise the dead. And he brings new life to this dead man in the tomb. And one of the things that's amazing about the story of Lazarus is just after Lazarus being raised, it talks about how the leadership, the Jewish leadership, gathered together to plot to kill Jesus. They saw what he did, and rather than bowing down or worshiping or confessing, they say, we've got to put this man to death. I mean, so we've got to kill this guy before he brings somebody else from back from the dead. It sounds kind of foolish, but it's amazing that Jesus bringing back to life also shows judgment as people see what happened and still don't turn to him. They still reject him. 
they still show themselves to be judged because as Jesus said in John 3:19, this is the judgment. Light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than light because their works were evil. And not only does Jesus here in his claim to raise to life and, and in that to bring to judgment, he's not only pointing to Lazarus, but he's pointing to each one of us for we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We spiritually are alienated from God, and it is the voice of Christ speaking to you through his word that says, I am he that gives life. I am he who brings to judgment. I am one who raises to life and calls you to believe and trust in him. You hear his word, and your response is either to believe and be given life, or to stay in unbelief and face judgment. And ultimately is the day when all history comes to an end and perfect justice is made as he cries out to all people and raises all to a final day of judgment, to life or to death. So the most important question we ever face is who is Jesus? What do you do with Jesus? How do you understand the cross? It, it, are you saying he's just a good man that other legends came to? Or do you say he is who he claimed to be? You see, being a Christian isn't some kind of vague believing rationally that there's a God who kind of made things and he's out there somewhere. That's what Jesus' enemies believed. They still believed in a God. Believing in a God and trying to do right isn't what being a Christian is. It's listening to his voice. This God who came to us in the flesh, who is the Lord of all, who says, I'm bringing you to, to, to life, and I'm resurrecting to living to life or to judgment. Not, not just to a vague God out there, but to a God who claims to be Lord, Lord over all things. Not, not just kind of out there that you call on if you need help occasionally when things get really, really get bad. Not someone you, you kind of listen to maybe for advice if you're stumped and you're facing a difficult decision. But if he truly is God, he is one that we trust and we submit to in all that we do. Um, in one sense, I, 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 so I, I think there's a sense in which we, we know there's this trusting in God. We believe in him and have life in his name. And, and then at the same time, we, we need to be obedient to what he commands. And I think there's times when we talk about Jesus being our Savior and Lord as though those are kind of two options. Or maybe we can take part and add one another. There, there's been debates earlier, um, several years ago, about that. that would, but, but, but the thing is, Scripture doesn't divide. For to come to Him as our Savior is to come to Him as our Lord. To trust in Him is not merely to kind of have this vague belief that I'm going to be saved, but to trust in Him is, not, is to trust that I will be forgiven, but also that I'm going to trust that every word that He commands is ultimately for my flourishing and for my good. So to trust is not something different from obey. Obedience flows out of that trust. To say that He is Savior is to realize He is able to be Savior only because He is Lord that he restores and he heals and he gives life. But he does that also through guiding us and commanding us 
as we worship him and we honor him even as we honor the Father. And so the one who stands before them is the one who stands before us speaking his life-giving word, telling us that he is worthy of the honor of the Father, that he is able to do all that the Father does, and that one day he will raise each one of us up to face life in his name or judgment. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that we might trust in the one you have sent. Help us not to define him as something that's manageable or something we can control, but to help us to receive him as he has offered to us in the gospel, as our Savior and as our Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And you've been listening to a sermon from the preaching and teaching ministry of First Presbyterian Church, Covington, Tennessee. Our mission is to proclaim Christ's kingdom through word and deed. You can learn more about us and listen to other sermons at onepc-covington.org or join us for worship at 403 South Main Street, Covington, Tennessee.